The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. You know, particularly around this one issue about how do we prospectively treat adolescents and young adults with sore throat. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. Welcome to the Annals on Call podcast on Fusobacterium pharyngitis. For this podcast, we're discussing three articles. The first is Expand the Pharyngitis Paradigm for Adolescents and Young Adults which I personally authored in 2009 in the Annals of Internal Medicine. Uh, the second is the clinical presentation of Fusobacterium positive and streptococcal positive pharyngitis in the University Health Clinic, which I published with co-authors in the Annals in 2015, and the accompanying editorial, Sore Throat, Avoid Overcomplicating the Uncomplicated, written by Dr. Jeff Linder, who is our guest on this podcast. Dr. Linder is a general internist and primary care clinician investigator. He's the Michael E. Gertz Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of General Internal Medicine and Geriatrics at Northwestern University. His research focuses on ambulatory acute respiratory infections and especially the appropriate use of antibiotics in those patients. He, in addition to being an outstanding researcher, attends on both the general medicine wards and takes care of his own primary care patients in Chicago. As an introduction, Fusobacterium necrophorum is a gram-negative anaerobe that causes pharyngitis, peritonsal abscess, and the Lemaire syndrome. We will refer to this throughout the podcast. We hope you learn a lot about the decision-making in adolescent and young adult pharyngitis. So, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on what I think will be a slightly different podcast since we're discussing two articles that I wrote and an editorial that you wrote. And in order to make sure that the audience uh, is very precise about this, let's define acute tonsillopharyngitis and let me throw out this as, a, as the group of people we're going to be talking about. Less than three days of a painful throat with or without uh, other symptoms. Sounds good. And this yeah. is important because everything we talk about does not pertain to someone who's had a month of, of throat pain or seven days of throat pain. That's a totally different situation that is not uh, what we're talking about. Agreed. The other thing that we're going to be talking about primarily as internists, is the 15 to 30 age group. I'm going to postulate, and I think you'll agree with me, that pre-adolescents are not part of the discussion of Fusobacterium necrophorum, 
and that there's just not a lot of pharyngitis above the age of 30. Now, when, when I say 15 to 30, that's those are rough boundaries. So a 14-year-old that's mature or a 32-year-old who has kids still may be part of the discussion, but, but primarily everything we're going to be talking about is in that uh, adolescent, uh, young adult age group. Yep, sounds good. Okay. Back in 2009, uh, I wrote this thought piece uh, that suggested that Fusobacterium necrophorum was more dangerous than group A beta strip in this group of patients because the side effects were more common. Those side effects were separative complications. And if that's true, then the rest of the discussion follows. Do we need to do something to try to treat these? Uh, what's your opinion on that? And when you think about that thought piece, did I overstep my bounds? You know, I, I sort of have it down in writing in the editorial that I said uh, I was I was worried that you know you had overstepped our bounds a little bit about concern of, uh, for Fusobacterium. And, and let me say at the outset, Fusobacterium I think can cause sore throat. Fusobacterium sore throat can lead to Lemire syndrome, and Lemire syndrome is really bad. It is catastrophic, and we're talking, as we said before young adolescents and young adults where, you know, this is, a, this is a disaster. So I think you and I agree that Lemire's is really bad. What's not convincing to me is the data that the one-to-one link, the progression from the presence of fusobacterium causing pharyngitis, uh, having these kids and, or adolescents and young adults visit healthcare, treating them with antibiotics and having that prevent Lemire's syndrome. So I think that has not quite been proven. And I'm a little concerned that we're going to be using antibiotics too indiscriminately in this age group. So that, that's great. And, and for the audience, Jeff and I are very friendly. We've discussed this in a very friendly manner for a long time. Uh, we yeah, disagree, we and we disagree about a lot of the details, but we don't disagree about all the details. And I would so, say we actually agree about most of the details, but just... You know, particularly around this one issue about how do we prospectively treat adolescents and young adults with sore throat. You know, we ha- I feel like we have sort of a moderate disagreement there, but right. everything that leads to and after that we would agree on. Right. So let me make the argument from the data in our more recent article from the student health sore throat patients that Fusobacterium necrophorum causes pharyngitis. And then I'm going to try to make the link through a series of steps of why uh, that leads to separative complications. So the first step is that we used uh, the Centaur score, which was originally designed for group A strep in adolescents and young adults. It was not designed originally for a pediatric population. And the more points you get, and most of us are familiar with fever history, lack of a cough, uh, swollen tender anterior cervical adenopathy, and tonsillar exudates. And the score that works well for group A strep and has been validated multiple times also works well for Fusobacterium necrophorum. It also happens to also work well for group C strep in which the score is higher, suggesting that it's really a score of bacterial pharyngitis. So that's number one. Number two is there's there's quite a bit of data now, both uh, in an article that I wrote uh, reviewing case studies 
as well as from two uh, large cohorts, one from Denmark and one from Sweden, that a percentage of patients with Fusobacterium necrophorum pharyngitis have bacteremia. And I've actually taken care of one, one such patient who did not develop uh, any separative complication other than bacteremia. These patients are rather sick, but do respond to early antibiotics without developing a clot or peritonsal abscess. The next piece of information is that patients with peritonsal abscess is most common in this age group. So the, the peak of peritonsal abscess is this adolescent young adult age group. And the most common bacteria is Fusobacterium necrophorum when you do careful anaerobic studies. And this is a good time to point out that Fusobacterium necrophorum is an anaerobic bacteria that will not show up on routine throat cultures and that nobody even considered it as a potential cause of tonsillopharyngitis until the early part of this century. So all of the articles showing that it can cause pharyngitis started somewhere in the early 2000s. So peritonsorapsis tracks exactly like Fusobacterium does because pre-adolescents do not get Fusobacterium necrophorum tonsillopharyngitis, and they have a lot less peritonsorapsis. And finally, Lemaire syndrome, again, tracks to this age group. So there's a consistent demographic of who gets Fusobacterium pharyngitis, who gets Fusobacterium pharyngitis with bacteremia, with or without clots. If they get clots, then they have Lemaire syndrome, and we'll, we'll specify Lemaire syndrome, and they're at risk for peritonsal abscess, and they're more likely to have recurrence of peritonsal abscess if they have Fusobacterium than, than if they have another cause. So that's what I want you to refute is, if you knew that someone had Fusobacterium pharyngitis, uh, would you be willing to treat them? Uh, I would, yeah. I think I, think I would. I mean, I, I, I feel like the... You know, you've made this argument and the argument before about uh, the number you've come up with about one in 400 cases of uh, Fusobacterium causing Lemire's. And I feel like uh, we don't, again, have data clearly linking, you know, working backwards, all the cases with Lemire's to, in, in sort of a one-to-one fashion with Fusobacterium uh, pharyngitis. So my con- my concern is we're going to wind up over treating a lot of adolescents and young adults with sore throat with uh, with antibiotics because we don't have a test for Fusobacterium right now, and uh, we're not sure if the Lemire's syndrome is preventable with uh, with early treatment. So that that hasn't been shown either. So let me I'll, I'll stop there and let you react to that. Yeah. So this is the classic philosophical debate of does the lack of proof equal to proof against. Right. And so now we, we, we have to make a decision. And so and, and I think, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I would yeah. also say uh, probably some degree of where we stand on this depends on where we sit. And I think you, you spend a lot of time on inpatient and have taken care of patients with Lemire's before. Right. I spend much more of my time outpatient and see people with sore throats. And again, conceding that Lemire's is catastrophic, I'm worried about the you know, at least 10, if not uh, 30% of patients who uh, are going to get antibiotics or are going to have some complication uh, from the antibiotic prescription in the hope that we're going to prevent a case of Lumiere's on the order of, you know, one in a million uh, almost. So, or one in several, several um, tens of thousands. 
So mathematically, it sort of, it sort of doesn't make sense. But you're, you're right, to go back to the point you made a second ago, right? Absence of evidence is not evidence of a lack of relationship. Right. So well, let's talk about benefits and risks. And you've written beautifully about the risks of antibiotic therapy. And so why don't you go over the risks of antibiotic therapy and especially the risks of using broad-spectrum antibiotics rather than narrow a- antibiotics? Because where we clearly agree is that if we're going to treat, we certainly should have a narrow-spectrum antibiotic that is likely to cover all the bacterial pharyngitides. The main concern I, I wind up talking to our colleagues and patients about with antibiotics is actually adverse effects to that individual patient of the antibiotic. Um, so I spend a lot of time talking to people who have viral infections who just figure, you know, what's the harm in taking an antibiotic? And pretty good data out of the UK has shown that you're more likely to turn up in an emergency department with a complication from the antibiotic than you are to have a serious bacterial infection prevented by that antibiotic if it seems like you had kind of either a mild illness or particularly a mild viral illness to start. So it's sort of these adverse effects that there are the, should be our major reason for not using antibiotics unnecessarily. You know, second, cost for these antibiotics is not that big of a deal, so I don't really dwell on that. Um, people, of course, talk about development of, of resistance, and so we, there's fantastic data that the more antibiotics we put in a population, the higher the rate of antibiotic-resistant bacteria we find in that population. And there's some data that uh, when individuals get antibiotics, the carriage of antibiotic-resistant bacteria, at least for the next three months or so, is much higher. And it's been a little bit more challenging to prove that you know, getting an unnecessary antibiotic has led an individual to getting hospitalized with some uh, drug-resistant uh, infection later on, but sort of makes sense. And then I think the fourth thing I've kind of added recently in thinking about this is, is disruption of the microbiome. So we've learned a lot about healthy bacteria that's in our gut. And so anytime you take back a, an antibiotic, that normal balance is, is disruptive. And that seems bad in a whole host of ways, not least of which is the risk of uh, clostridi. It's actually, excuse me, clostridioides, we now say. Mm. Clostridioides difficile uh, infection, which in and itself can be life-threatening. So for all the, all those reasons, you know, I, I discourage people from taking antibiotics in the absence of sort of a, a pretty strong reason for, for using one. Okay. One place that we, we uh, strongly agree on is which patients with sore throats, and again, this is just the acute pharyngitis, need neither testing nor treatment. And this is a population that you see. I don't see them unless they've had a complication. Right. Uh, but... Uh, what do you teach your residents and what do you uh, discuss with your faculty and when you teach about this? Who needs neither testing nor treatment? So you, you mentioned earlier the, the Centaur criteria, and let me just point out for your listeners how great it is to be on a podcast with Dr. Centaur himself talking about the Centaur criteria. But um, this idea that patients with zero or one of the Centaur criteria have a probability of having a bacterial sore throat that's so low that it's not even worth testing. You're much more likely to get a false positive, either kind of a false positive due to lab error or uh, you're just picking up carriage of uh, group A strep on the test. So again, if patients have zero or one of the Centaur criteria, 
the probability of them having bacterial sore throat is so low that it's not even worth getting a test. And the test is likely to kind of steer you wrong. And we know from studies we and other people have done, for adults anyway, probably at least 60% of adults who come in are going to have zero or one. So, you know, a big quality problem I see, I've already mentioned inappropriate antibiotic prescribing or antibiotic overprescribing is a big quality problem. But a huge quality problem we see in this area is overuse of unnecessary testing. Well, uh, as you know, I agree with you 100%. Uh, and you've published very good data showing even in really good outpatient areas, how often either testing and or treatment occurs in these zeros and ones. And when I say antibiotic uh, therapy, and not always the right antibiotics. Right. Definitely. And, uh, you know, and we see in, in other studies that I and other colleagues have done, you know, we see over and over again, also that, you know, testing gets done, there's a negative test, and then still an antibiotic gets prescribed too. So, which sort of raises the question, like, what, what did you do the test for in the first place? You know, that's, that's kind of a next level quality problem. But, um, right, we should only be doing this test in, in patients who have two or more of the Centaur criteria. Right. And I think we both agree that the standard in many emergency departments and urgent care centers is to do the test as soon as the patient comes in without even talking or looking to the patient. And we both think that's a bad idea. I agree with you 100% that that is a bad idea, Okay, indiscriminate testing. So we agree on if we could just take care of that 60%, we'd really improve quality, decrease complications, uh, et cetera. Let's leave the twos alone uh, for a second and, and look at the threes and fours. At least in, in R1 study, 70% of the fours either had group A or group C or uh, fusobacterium. Uh, pharyngitis, and the threes was about half. And so my argument uh, would be that that group, in the absence of an easy-to-do fusobacterium test, that uh, it would be worthwhile to do empiric therapy. That would be about 30% of the population at most in all the studies that we've done of sore throats would be threes and fours. And that gives you some clinical judgment, especially if these people look sick. And and that's one thing that no score can can be used without a little clinical context. And the patients who look a little bit sicker, who it's it, it you're very they make you uncomfortable. Uh, I favor using penicillin, and I think that the the big problem is that. Not everybody uses first-line therapy, and every guideline agrees that penicillin is first-line therapy for tonsillopharyngitis. The twos, I, I, I personally, I think it depends upon how they look. They have really lousy exudates because exudates is probably a better predictor uh, than just part of the score uh, from all the studies we've done. Uh, although it does, there's no way to, to put that into score, but it's sort of a clinical phenomenon that I would treat some of the twos, but I would treat most of the threes and fours with penicillin. And I would never use a macrolide because, because macrolides are not working that well against the uh, group A strep and the group C strep, and they clearly don't work against fusobacterium. So that's probably our big difference is that I'm a little bit uh, more eager to do empiric uh, antibiotics in these people who look sick. 
Right. And actually, just for, for your listeners, tell tell us what you mean by look sick. Because what, what I don't want to get across is, to come across is, you know, somebody who's complaining a lot about a sore throat and, you know, what, what right. does look sick? So uh, th- they would, they often would look febrile. Uh, they would really have very swollen tonsils with big, big time exudates. We have some unpublished data that uh, the more confluent the exudates, the more likely it is to be strep or, and that's before we did fusobacterium studies. Uh, but when I've seen people with fusobacterium pharyngitis, they've really had ugly-looking tonsils. You know, there's some people who have exudates if you look real hard, and some people who you can't miss them. And I'm talking about the people you can't miss them. People who tell you they've had a high fever. Uh, and then we'll talk about some of the red flags later on, if they have any of those red flags. And the other thing that, that some patients have told me who had Lemaire's is that they'll tell you they've never had a sore throat this bad. And they kept on trying to tell the doctor, I've never had a sore throat this bad. And I know that's soft, uh, but uh, I would respond to that clinically. One thing to clarify, though, it's funny. You and I sort of had this one, like, tunnel. I think I'm thinking of it almost as, like, a tunnel of disagreement uh, as we pass through, like, what to do with adolescents and young adults who have two, three, or four of the central criteria, right? Because we agree right. that zero, you know, patients with zero one don't even need to be tested. Completely. Uh, we agree that if you're going to treat, you should use penicillin. And it's worth pointing out that, always worth repeating, that group A strep itself is never resistant to penicillin, uh, has never been. And then I think we're also going to agree when we talk about follow-up care, like what needs to happen and so it's just this one little kind of tunnel in the middle of decision-making about sore throat, about patients with two, three, or four, you know, where I would say, and particularly the twos and threes, you could convince me that patients with four, which is pretty rare, mm-hmm. uh, four of the central criteria could treat empirically with penicillin. But twos and threes to me, that's a large enough population that I'm more concerned about the adverse effects of the antibiotics than the hope of treating fusobacterium pharyngitis and preventing Lemire's. And also preventing peritonsal abscess. Yes. Okay, so we agree on antibiotics. Um, and when I say penicillin, I also will include uh, amoxicillin. And the advantage of amoxicillin is you can give it once a day, so it's a lot easier for patients to take. And uh, fusobacterium is over 99% sensitive in two studies that I saw reported uh, at a meeting that I went to this summer, uh, one from Denmark and one from England, where they actually was do- they were doing uh, sensitivity testing. So penicillin will cover fusobacterium also. And it's, just, it's rather amazing that, we, that all the organisms are responsive to penicillin. So let's say we decide not to give antibiotics. Uh, and we take the risk that they're going to have this bad complication. And if we take that risk, most of the time we're going to be just fine because you're right. Most people don't develop Lemire's and most people don't develop peritonsal abscess. The trick with if they're going to have Lemire's, and I'm going to define Lemire's uh, for those who aren't quite familiar with it, is if we don't start antibiotics really fast when they first have a sign of Lemire's, then it's a devastating ICU stay, uh, the average hospitalization is like 25 days, the average ICU stay is about a week, uh, and there's about a 5% mortality. So we, ha- we have to, if we're going to not give antibiotics, we have to know exactly what to do. So what is Lemaire's? 
Lemire uh, starts out with pharyngitis, and then they develop a separative internal jugular thrombophlebitis. And I think of this as an equivalent to having endocarditis, but with a uh, more invasive organism, because Fusobacterium necrophorum is a very invasive, destructive organism. And then you really can't call it Lemaire's formally. It is an incomplete Lemaire's if they don't have septic emboli. And I've actually taken care of a patient who we, who we found early enough uh, that we treated the patient aggressively and they didn't have septic emboli. Uh, the septic emboli are where you think they'd be since it's uh, in the venous system. It's predominantly lung. So anytime in this age group you see what looks like septic emboli, in an adolescent young adult, you assume Lemaire's until you prove it's not, uh, and you make sure you cover uh, Fusobacterium. But there are also brain abscesses. There are also bone and uh, joint abscesses, also liver abscesses. So if we're, if we're not going to treat them, what should have us on high alert, and what should we tell the patients? And so, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and say how you would do this, and then, I will, uh, and then I'll comment and yeah. support you. So what I would tell uh, somebody, let's say they come in, they have two or three of the central criteria. We do a strep test. The strep test is negative, and there are no none of these kind of, uh, uh, you know, they're looking otherwise pretty well. What I tell people is that they should be expecting to improve over the next three, uh, definitely by five days and be on a, a gradually improving trajectory. And if they're not, if they develop a fever, worsen sore throat, or other symptoms to give give a call and, and come back. Uh, so it should uh, things overwhelmingly kind of just resolve on their own. Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna agree and be a little bit more strident. Um, so the red flags to me are the sore throat getting worse. It's not supposed to get worse from the time we see you, even if we don't give you antibiotics. Correct. And we're we're gonna do all sorts of stuff to give you analgesics. And right. So, you know things should be getting. I, I agree. It, it's very unusual. Okay. Uh, somebody would get worse in any way, even if they ultimately have a totally benign course. Most people with Lemaire's start out with Rigers, uh, and Rigers automatically gets you antibiotics, automatically gets you in the hospital and blood cultures in this situation, and unilateral neck swelling. Uh, so any unilateral neck swelling would get you. If you cover those three things, getting worse, Rigers, or unilateral neck swelling, if any of those things happen, immediately come in and get admitted. Agreed. So I think that we had more agreement than disagreement. Uh, and in, until we can develop a rapid test for fused bacterium, there are a few commercial PCR tests, but they take quite a bit of time to come back. Perhaps one of these days we'll have a rapid test and can treat. I'm still going to treat empirically. You're still going to be a little bit more cautious. And that's okay because we both are trying to do the right thing. And I appreciate you calling me cautious instead of uh, cavalier. Uh, no, you're never cavalier. Jeff, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this discussion. And I hope that uh, this helps the audience better understand where, where we are with adolescent and young adult uh, sore throats. Thanks so much for having me. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. As you could tell, this topic is one that is very close to me, and I've waited over a year to do a podcast uh, on pharyngitis. I think there's several takeaways from this discussion. The first is something that uh, Jeff and I agreed on completely, 
and that is when an adolescent or young adult comes in to the office or the ER or urgent care with a sore throat, a good history and targeted physical exam will enable one to calculate a Stentor score and patients with zero or one of the four components of the Centaur score should be reassured and neither tested nor treated with antibiotics. They can be told to come back if the sore throat worsens, if they develop fever, etc. The second big point is that while I'm a little bit more lenient with uh, the desire to use empiric penicillin in patients with scores of two, sometimes three, and four, we both agree that there are certain red flags that we should send all of these patients home with in this roughly 15 to 30-year-old age group. The first is that sore throats should be getting better from the time we see them over the next three to five days. If sore throats are not getting better, that suggests that we don't have the right diagnosis. The next is that rigors suggest bacteremia and should be an immediate reason to come back, get blood cultures, and get started on IV antibiotics. And the final is that unilateral neck swelling could either be a sign of peritonsillar abscess or of the Lemaire syndrome, and that also should bring the patient to the emergency department or the doctor's office with immediate evaluation, including uh, CT scanning or ultrasound. We hope that after listening to this podcast, you have uh, a better idea both of what uh, is clear about adolescent and young adult pharyngitis and where there's still some disagreement over the initial management, but no disagreement over the cautions. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.